I'd like to say first and foremost that I am honored to um, preach to you. Um, I have been standing in front here for a while, but almost every time I'm standing here, I'm saying testing one, two. So it's, uh, it's rather strange wearing a tie. Uh, and being here, but uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to preach to you this evening. Uh, before I begin, I would like us to pray. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, our gracious God in heaven, what we do not know this evening, teach us. What we are not, make us. And uh, in all the things that we are not, shape us. For your name for your honor and for your glory. Amen. The Reformed Baptist movement has five distinctives. Some of you might know them by heart. Others might know them in part or in whole. These five distinctives are the regulative principle of worship, covenant theology, the 1689 London Confession of Faith, the doctrines of grace, also known as the five points of Calvinism, as well as the autonomy of local churches. Um, don't worry, this is not going to be a lecture, um, but just to uh, give you a, a scope. These are the things that if you see them in the scope of a church, as you are attending them, you will know, aha, I am participating in a Reformed Baptist church. It helps us to define what we are. It is possible, it's in fact helpful for us to know whether we're attending a Reformed Baptist church or an evangelical church. Um, but sometimes it's uh, even more helpful for us to know what is the distinctive of a church? What is the defining feature of a church? How do we know that this is a church? What, what is the thing that should help us know that this is a a church. Before we can defend ourselves as evangelicals, before we can defend ourselves or even define ourselves as Reformed Baptists, we should be able to know and define ourselves as a church. What should be the defining feature of a church? That is the matter that we are here to look at this evening. That is the matter that is in our text for this evening. So I'd like us to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. In this passage, the Apostle John gives us what he describes as the defining feature of the church. The passage reads, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. What the Apostle John and God, overall, is telling us in this passage is that the thing that distinguishes the people of God from every other group of people in the world is that they love. This is a remarkable concept. The thing that distinguishes we as the people of God from every other group in the world is that they love. This is one of the most remarkable and extraordinary claims that the Bible makes. Unfortunately, this just washes over us. As I'm saying it, this does not even sound remarkable to us because every single group in the world thinks that they love. The company you work for most likely has a motto that says, we love. We are a sort of family, right? We, we love one another. 
your chess club, your local chess club that you are part of, or uh, any sort of small group that you are part of, thinks that they have this thing, we, we love one another. Your, your, your little chilimba, where you are saving money, you, you think you, you, right? You love, right? Um, your village banking group, where you, you meet together as, as friends, you gather, you, 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 you share money, uh, you, you think, yeah, we, we, we love. Homosexuals think that they love one another, right? Don't families love one another? Right? Husbands and wives love one another. Don't children love their parents? Don't parents love their children? Right? So, when God says, Beloved, let us love one another. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. How is this? an extraordinary claim. What, what is so special about this when everyone loves? This is, it's, it's like the most ordinary thing in the world. Everyone loves. But what I hope to show you in this passage this afternoon is that this is a remarkable claim that is being made in the scriptures. This is the defining characteristic of the church. This is the one thing that the church is able to do that no other group in the world is able to do. They are simply incapable. They don't have the tools, they don't have the means, they don't have the resources to do it. This is what we have before us today. So how do we, so how do we see this in the scriptures? We see this in this way. The Apostle John uses the word beloved six times in the book of First John. The way in which we see this is by seeing the different places in which he uses the word beloved. Thankfully, two of them are in our text, and so we'll end with the last two. The first one is in First John chapter 2, verse 7. Let's go there. First John chapter 2, verse 7. First John Chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This commandment to love that the Apostle John is giving, he's saying it's not new. It's actually not a new commandment at all, right? It is both old and it is new. It is old because Moses gave it. In fact, it is even older than Moses because at the time when Adam was created, Adam was supposed to love God and love his neighbor. I don't think when Adam was created, he could say, uh, yeah, so I know I should love you, but I'm not supposed to love this woman who's next to me, right? Because she was his neighbor. He couldn't say, yeah, so uh, God, I can love you, but uh, I'm not supposed to love my neighbor. So this is, this is, this is the oldest commandment in the world, right? It's, 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 it's as old as you see that tree there, don't touch it. So it, he's saying... Uh, beloved, I am writing, writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Right? This commandment here is, is as old as time itself. It was, it was there from the very beginning, and Moses even gave it to you. This, 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 this commandment that you are to love one another. It is also a new commandment because Jesus gave it himself. He gave it in John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, verse 34. It's a passage that you are very familiar with, most likely. It's taught in Sunday schools around, uh, around the world. In fact, uh, it's possible your, uh, your nieces and nephews have been, have been saying it. All right? John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Verse 35 is the one that I love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is absolutely remarkable. John here and Jesus is telling us that the world outside is going to know, right? The defining feature, the way in which the world will know that you are a follower of Christ is not by the words that you speak. It's not by the fact that you can spout the systematic theologies. It is by the way in which you love, not the, not, not, not the stranger on the street, but it's the way in which you love the people of God. The very people in this building right now. Feel free to look around. The very people here right now. That's how the world will know that you are the disciples of God. Here's a rhetorical question. If the world is looking at you, does the world know that you are a disciple of God based on the way you love the people of God? When the world looks at the way you love the people of God, are they able to say, that's a Christian? John 13, 35. I'll read it again, lest you, lest you forgot. By this, let's start from 34, right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is remarkable. It's also quite difficult, to be honest. Because if you're looking around you right now, I'm sure you've recognized the people in this room are difficult to love. Right? Huh? Quite difficult to love. You've worked in ministries with these people. They don't show up on time. Right? The things that they've committed to do, they don't do them. You try to usher with them, they don't show up. They don't do... How do you, how do you love these people? It's, it's incredibly difficult. But you are supposed to do it. Which brings us to the second beloved. First John chapter 3, verse 2. First John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We who are the saved children of God have a great hope. We are being sanctified daily. We are being enabled to love the people of God. Our ability to love the people of God is better with every single day because sanctification is a real process. It's a, it's a real thing. If you are a Christian, because sanctification is real, your ability to love the people of God, you, the day you got saved, in comparison to in year five of your salvation, year five is so much better than it was the day you got saved. Because sanctification is a real thing. That's what the passage is saying. I'll read it again in case you missed it. First John 3 verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, right? That's glorification, right? So we are, imp we are increasing. We are, we, are, we, are being, we are being taken from one degree of glory to another, but lest you think he's just talking about glorification, notice. We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, verse 3, notice, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the day, the ongoing action of sanctification. Each day, wrestling with the word of God. 
as you are washing yourself in the word of God, so that you are better able to love God and love neighbor. Your ability to love neighbor two years ago, in contrast to your ability to love neighbor now, it should be a sharp contrast. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is, wa- is, just, is working in your life. If you are remaining the same, you are saying something about the Holy Spirit. You are calling the Holy Spirit impotent. You are saying the Holy Spirit has got no abilities. You are saying the Holy Spirit is, is, is as poor a worker as the worst worker in your office. The person who has been left on the same assignment for years and there has been no progress in that department. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that the Holy Spirit? The God of creation who produced this entire marvelous universe in the course of seven days. That's the person who you are saying has been working in you for years and yet you are unable, unable to produce anything in your life. No. Instead, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. That's why there is great hope that you are able to love. Everyone who has this Holy Spirit, everyone who is saved has great hope. That's why we purify ourselves. This is an active hope. Unless you think this is the only place, let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. You shall see the exact same language there. This is Paul talking. In case you think the language is only there in, uh, in, in, in the Apostle John. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. It's a, it's, a, it's a long passage, so I'm going to start ahead of you. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All right? So the sufferings of this present time, you, you want to factor in what these sufferings are? These sufferings, you are dealing with the brethren, and they are not brethrening. All right? You're yeah, 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 trying to relate with them, and they are not, they are not brethrening. You're working with them in, in, in a ministry. You're asking them, okay, guys, wh- how can I pray for you? How can I, how can I be your brother's keeper? And, and they are not being your brother's keeper. Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. And then you are down, and they are not doing the same. These are the sufferings of this present life. You are loving, and they are not loving you back. Part of that is the suffering of this present life. Back to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present life are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Notice verse 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What we are seeing here is we are not where we we expect to be. Right? Our, 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 Our bodies are not where we expect to be. Part of this is talking about glorification. Yes, definitely. But there's a sanctification element to this. There's a sanctification element to this. Our ability to love the brethren, it grows over time because the Holy Spirit is working with us, brethren. We are able to love because the Holy Spirit is working in us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We live in hope because we are the children of God. And that's why we purify ourselves. Purify ourselves isn't, isn't a works-based salvation. 
No, instead it is, we are going to God and saying, wash me, Savior. Wash me. We are going to the word of God and we are trying to apply it to our lives so that we are better able to love our brethren. We are not, we are not trying to return what they've done to us. Oh, he's done this to me, so I'm going to do this back. Instead, we need to be better able to love the brethren. That's the core here. And this is very difficult. This doesn't happen while you're just sitting around doing nothing. You're just laughing. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm just going to be there. Yeah, these people are doing this to me. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, just, I'm just there. No. It's an active process. You are working. This is somebody who is diligently in the word of God, actively saying, I will not return evil for evil. I will go out of my way to love the brethren. Beloved, let us love one another. This is incredibly difficult, which brings us to the next beloved. 1 John 3, verse 21. 1 John 3, verse 21. For the sake of context, I'll begin from verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do whatever he pleases. Or whatever pleases him. We are to be living out this life of Christian love. But if we are not genuine, our very own heart will condemn us. Time out. At this point, it may have occurred to you that... So I've been living this Christian life, and I, I haven't exactly been... I haven't exactly been loving the brethren, right? So I've been living this Christian life five years, ten years, whatever it is, three, six months, seven months, but I, I haven't exactly been, uh, you know, I haven't been loving the brethren like that. What, what, what this guy up front is describing, that hasn't exactly been me. And I'm okay, right? I'm not exactly, I'm not under pressure or anything, you know? I'm not under pressure, you know? I'm, I seem to be fine. I come to church, life goes on. According to the passage here, if your heart was okay with God, your heart would condemn you for not loving the brethren. This is a test for starch. This is a test right here. Your heart would condemn you If you're not loving the brethren, you're just, you're just sitting there, oh, Sunday in, Sunday out, just there, oh, yeah, hi, bye, in, out, oh, yeah, nothing's going on, hi, bye, be warm, well-fed. The people in here are just, they are rocks on benches. If there was a genuine movement in your heart, according to this passage, your heart would condemn you. So why isn't your heart condemning you? Could it be that you are lying to yourself about your profession of faith? Could it be? All these years, lying to yourself about your profession of faith. You come here, sing all the right songs, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Meanwhile, zero. No actual profession of faith worth talking about. Because your heart does not even condemn you for the lack of love for the brethren. Monday after Monday, announcements are sent about what's happening in the life of the church. It means nothing to you. 
Sunday after Sunday, information is being given. It's what's going on in the life of ch the church. It means nothing to you. Event after event, information is being given. This is what the church is doing. It means nothing to you. The church is doing this. Church is involved in missions. Church is involved children's hunger fund. This, this, this. The life of the church. This, the, this church members lost this. Funeral here, wedding there, whatever. The life of the church is happening and you are not even moved. You are just a passenger and you don't care. Why? Could it be that there's nothing? No life. And yet you're lying to yourself. So instead of being surprised on judgment day, how about checking now? Because your heart is not condemning you. God might be knocking on the door of your heart right now. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Okay. We're back. According to the passage, it's saying, your heart condemns you if the love for the brethren isn't there. So, as we are relating to one another, right? Because we are sinners, we frequently break promises with one another, right? Um, and uh, unfortunately, what tends to happen is because we break promises, uh, friendships uh, are just fractured among one another. Uh, we, we, we begin to start, you know, uh, friends all of a sudden start sitting away from one another. One, one takes this side of the church, another one takes the side of the church. Uh, yeah, then they take further sides. And then over the years, it, it, things just become more and more fractured among, among one another. We stop relating um, because we've got no way to, to fix things with one another. According to this, according to First uh, John 3, Verse, verse 21. In fact, I'll just read it. If our heart does not condemn us, we have no confidence. We have confidence before God. What it's saying here is that the, 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 the very fact, those whose, those whose hearts condemn them, that's, that's a sign that God is working within you. It's, it's a tender conscience is the fact that God is working within you. And so we must be praying to God, God, soften, soften my heart so that I might be receptive. Help me love the brethren. All right, so connecting the three dots. And uh, um, some of you might be aware, the more astute ones uh, might be aware that uh, this man has been talking for 20 minutes and he hasn't yet touched his text. My wife is very aware. Uh, she'll, she'll bother me about this uh, at home. Uh, I, I am aware, right? I'm making my way there. So, the three things. The three things. Putting everything together. All right? We are supposed to love one another. We are supposed to love one another. We are supposed to love one another because this is an old commandment. It's both an old commandment and a new one. It is an impossible commandment. It's almost impossible outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's supposed to be done in hope because this is what the Holy Spirit does. And if we are failing to do it, if we are struggling to do it, the Holy Spirit uh, condemns us. In the interest of time, I'm going to skip the fourth one, which is found in First uh, uh, John chapter four, verse one. Uh, believe, uh, beloved, do not believe every spirit, and I'll jump to First uh, John chapter four, verse seven, which is our text. Beloved, let us love one another. And at this point, we get back to the overall question, right? The overall question. What is it about this question, right? Um, what is it that makes this command special to the church? What differentiates this love that the church is commanded to have from the love expressed by every other group in the world? It starts off with this, all right? It starts off with this. Who is this one another? Beloved, let us love one another. This one another is, uh, is given to us at the beginning of First John. First John chapter 1 verse 7, right? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Uh, this one another is, 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 is Christians. It is those who are walking in the light, right? So uh, it's, 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 it's believers, it's, 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 your fellow, it's your fellow believers, whether it's your fellow members of the local church 
or your fellow members of the universal church, it is it's those who walk in the light. Let us love one another. Those of us who walk in the light. It, it is not those of us who are sinless. And we see that in uh, verse, verse, uh, at the end of verse 7 and verse 8. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Be, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have, no si- if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This one another here, this beloved let us one an- love one another, it, it, it implies here that we must, this, our, our, our loving one another is within the context of regular confession of sin to one another. If, if I've got a problem with you, right, if, I've, if, 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 if we've developed any sort of issue as I'm trying to love you and you loving me, if there's an issue, the issue must be resolved and confessed. Unfortunately, what, what tends to happen is, I'll just leave you. Right? Well, there's, there's an issue. Silent treatment, it will just be buried. Let's just, let, let's just leave things. You, you go to your side of the church, and I'll go mine. It's a divorce. You, you take your ministry, I'll take mine. Right? Uh, let's just split the ministry. Now there's going to be senior YP and intermediate. Split the ministry. Now we have two choirs, senior choir, junior choir, right? Because we can't, we can't coexist, right? No, there, there must be the confession of sin. These, these matters must be resolved with one another because that's how the world operates. In the world, when, when I've got an issue with you, issues are not resolved. You just, you go your separate ways. In the world, it's divorces and breakups, Right? Right? It's a, in, in the world, it's a silent. The world has no conflict resolution mechanisms. It's all secular. But in Christ, we have, we, th- there's love. In Christ, we're able to say, uh, yeah, I don't like you right now, but I love you anyway. But I, oh, but, no, but brother, me, right now, me, I hate you. Yes, God said I should love my enemies. Here I am. No, I need you to go. Okay, I'm outside when you, right, when you need something. Because that's what we do. We, we confess our sins to one another. We, 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 we relate. Sin fractures. That's what sin does. The church should be the one place where we do not pretend that sin doesn't exist. And yet that's what we tend to do. Sin fractures relationships and we pretend like everything is fine. No, instead, we admit sin is there and we resolve these issues. We come in, we clean with the disinfectant that is the Holy Spirit. We come in, we are honest with one another and we relate. Beloved, let us love one another. Out there, people lie, people cheat, people steal. Here, within the church, the love of Christ compels us to resolve these issues. Petty grievances must have no foothold here. Zero. They cannot have a foothold in the place where the Holy Spirit reigns. They can't. How can they? Let us love one another. This is incredibly difficult. Even I know it's incredibly difficult. Because the sinful nature is automatically trying to run away from these things. But it requires two people actively committed. It requires every single member actively committed to all of these things. Beloved, let us love one another. How do we achieve this? How do we achieve this thing where everybody's on the same page? Because it's difficult, right? Thankfully, we are told in the passage, chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. How? How do we achieve it? For love is from God. Done. Right? For love is from God. If it was from us, it would be over. We would have failed a long time ago. For love is from God. And 
everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In here, brethren, is the promise and the certainty, not the probability. Everywhere else is the probability. The world's conflict resolution mechanisms are all probabilities. Oh, here, there's a 40% chance of success, 75% chance of success, 90% chance of success that issues will be resolved. No, here is a certainty that issues can be resolved. The promise here is not that love is a probability, but love is a certainty. Are you born of God? You are able to love. You are able to love that difficult brother. You are able to love that difficult sister because all of this is a certainty. Why? Because you are born of God and you know God. Not only is it an exhortation, it tells you, beloved, let us love one another because everyone who has been born of God and knows God is able to love. This is the great promise of 1 John 4 verse 7. Unfortunately for us, it comes with a threat. Verse 8. Let's read verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And therein lies the threat. Our actions betray us. As we are going through life relating to the brethren, our actions are betraying us. Are we, are we failing to love the brethren? It's revealing the nature of our heart. It's showing us that the Holy Spirit is not actually at work in our hearts. Brother, forgive him. Ah, you, I, 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 just, I just can't. I just can't. Why can't I? I just, I just can't. Anyone, right? Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. How is it possible that you are not able to love and yet you are connected to God himself? How? How is it possible? It, it can't. Just like the children learn in primary school mathematics, it can't. If you are in Christ, in the same way that love is a certainty, let me frame it this way. If you are in Christ, your failure to love is your problem. It's not because God hasn't given you everything you need. God has given you all the resources you need to be able to love. It's not that God is withholding any sort of grace. Pastor John MacArthur phrases it this way. He says, when we are praying, we shouldn't ask God for anything he's already provided. So it's like, oh, God, give me grace. As though God is somewhere saying, uh, so I'm going to give you 90% grace here, all right? but you need 100. No, God has given you grace. He's given, he's given you all of it. In fact, God has given you 110% grace. So you're actually wasting his time asking him for, for the grace. He's given it. Stop wasting his time asking him for things that he's already given you. Ask him for things that he, has, like, things he hasn't yet given you, like wisdom. Right? So in those difficult situations, you know, spend time asking him for wisdom. The grace, he's already given it. God is not withholding any good thing from his children. Beloved, let us love one another. In all these difficult situations, let us love one another. No one here is claiming that the brethren around us aren't difficult. We're dealing with difficult people. But beloved, let us love one another. The failure to love shows that we are not of God. God is going to show us the footage on judgment day and it will be plain and evident when it's over all of us who are not saved will walk ourselves to hell by ourselves there will be no need for an angel to act like a bailiff to hold us and drag us to hell we'll say where's hell where show me and we walk ourselves there by ourselves right because we know we are guilty the evidence will be there the, the failure to love it's us it will be on us anyone who does not love it shows it's because you are not born of God. The failure to love at best is indifference and at worst is hatred. Both of them are wrong. So each time you, you refuse to love the brethren, you might think, oh, no, no. It's just, it's just that I don't have time. Indifference. 
Not, I, I'm willing to love this one, but not this one. Hatred. Both of them are wrong, brethren. Beloved, let us love one another. Two passages of scripture to show you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18, and Proverbs chapter 10, verse 23. Proverbs 10, 18, and Proverbs 10, 23. Proverbs 10, 18, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a lie is a is a fool. There's no one you're deceiving. The Holy Spirit is in your heart if you're a Christian. You 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 think your 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 you think your failure to love the brethren is actually fooling him? No. He, he sees. He knows. Verse 23. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Isn't that us when we, when we don't want to love? Oh, you know. This is what you should do. This is the right thing that you should do. Uh, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it this time. <laughs> it's like a joke. It's just showing our foolishness. Things are going wrong. Things are going on with my fellow church members. I don't know and I don't care, but we think it's fine. I have an issue with my brother or sister in the Lord, and it's been there. It's been festering for weeks, months, even years. We don't attend to it. We think it's fine. Beloved, let us love one another. Anyone who does not love, it shows that the love of God isn't dwelling in us. Pretend all you want that you're having devotions. It's not going any... It shows that these things are not genuine. God has shown us the template of love in his son. First John chapter 4, verse 9. First John chapter 4, verse 9. First John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Christ shows us sacrificial love. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What, what we see here is that our display of love in the difficult circumstances and in the easy ones. In, in all circumstances across the board, it shows the world something. It shows the world something. The phrase blood is thicker than water, it came up because the world was telling, the, the world was telling Christians, do you know that the blood that flows in our veins is thicker than the water of baptism? How is it that you are more loyal to people you were baptized with over the blood that's flowing through your veins? Because once upon a time, they were aware that the love of the brethren was a threat. There was love within the church. There was love. Christ here is showing us a kind of sacrificial love, a love that puts the other person's needs ahead of others, praying for one another, serving one another, helping one another. It's a love that's transformative. The world looks at us and it says, this is different. They walk in here and they say, hey, you know, I've been places, I've been to clubs, I've been to all sorts of places. This is different. I don't know what's here, but I want this. 
whatever's going on here, I want this. What do you mean you want this? Hey, I don't even know how to describe it, but I want this. Because by this, all the world will know that you are my disciples. There's something that connects us as believers. A brother from South Africa just shows up. A brother from Zimbabwe just shows up. And all of a sudden, it's as though you've known each other for a long time. Why? Because there's something that's hooking within him. And it's hooking within us. Because the Holy Spirit has connected us at a level that goes beyond words. It enables us to, to bring what little resources we have. The Apostle Paul is frequently talking about churches that were poor financially and yet were ministering to his needs. They were praying for him actively. Do you know how ridiculous it is to say, I know you are praying for me? Think about that for a moment, especially in a day and age where we frequently say, I'll pray for you and we don't. Do you know how ridiculous it is to say, I know you are praying for me? Do you get, that just blows my mind. I know you are praying for me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is at the end of Philemon. We won't go there, but at the end of Philemon, uh, Paul, tells, Paul tells Philemon, uh, let's just go there. It's a throwaway verse. It means, my goodness. Philemon. Philemon is before Hebrews. There we go. Those of you who are using digital Bibles, you you are crushing it right now. Philemon. It only has one chapter, verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Other versions say, through your prayers, I am hoping I will be graciously restored to you. That verse makes almost no sense. He's saying, I know you are praying. That I, that I will return to you. I will come back to where you are. I've had visitors in my home. They have <laughs> Imagine having a visitor where I say, I pray that this guy comes back. I'm, I'm praying, just bring him, bring him back. And Paul is saying, I know that you are praying I come back. And so he's saying, prepare a room for me because I know you're praying I, I come back. Beloved, let us love one another to the point where the love is palpable. You can feel it. These guys are separated by distance, and yet the love can be felt. The person who was transporting this letter, if he ever opened it and read, he said, mm? <coughs> What is this? What is this? The love that is there. This is the way the world knows that we love one another. Putting it together. This church has given us a number of opportunities through which we get to know one another, relate to one another. Opportunities through which we get to know what's going on in one another's lives. Prayer is the easiest way of being able to relate to and love one another. Pray for one another. An email is sent out every Monday. It's pretty basic. There's a church directory. You can call a person, send a message. Hey, I'm praying for you. It's, it's, it's the simple gestures. No one's asking you to go a hundred miles an hour. Because love is basic. It's basic. This command here, it's saying love one another. And remember, love is a certainty in the heart of the believer. God brings it about. 
There's so many opportunities. You have an opportunity to be involved in a, in a small group with people, whether it's a home group, your small prayer group, whatever it is. Where God has placed you, love those brethren. Beloved, love one another. Let there be no doubt in the world that you love these people. Let there be no doubt in the world. There should be no single believer who should be an island. God forbid there should be a believer in the world who's an island. This church tries to model it. We even pray for foreign countries, for goodness sake. Some of these countries, we don't know where they are. We are there trying to squint our eyes so we see the countries next to them. Even the countries next to them, we, can, we don't know them. And yet we are praying for them so that we, we, are, we are showing. We are trying to love one another. Let us be deliberate about how we love one another. If you can be deliberate, look around you. These are the people God has given you. For this period of time, God has given you these specific people in this room right now. You don't know when they'll be taken away. For all you know, within the next 365 days, some of these people will be gone to glory. Your chance to love them will be gone, finished. Mama Betty Chisenga was with us for a brief period. We'd... How much time did we waste with Mama Betty Chisenga? We've received Sarah into church membership. How many of us are going to waste time before we ever get to know her? Beloved, let us love one another. We won't be on this side of eternity for long. Let's not waste time. Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone and anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He who does not love has not been born of God, because God is love. Let's pray. Great God and Father in heaven, help us to love. Help us to see the wealth of resources that you have given us, the opportunities that you have afforded us to love one another. At KBC, you've given us so many people whom we can love. A church membership of upwards of 300 people, whereas others have been given so few, we have been given so many great opportunities with a number of people coming in by the week. Oh God, help us. Help us to appreciate your great mercies to us, opportunities to love one another. Teach us, oh God, to be one another's servant, to celebrate with one another, to rejoice with one another, to mourn with one another, to love one another. For your name's sake, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.